The Bible is full of very interesting stories, many stories uh, that we know and some that we aren't very familiar with. And I'd like to take you back into the Old Testament to 2 Kings chapter 5 to a very interesting story that includes two important kings, a valiant warrior, a little girl, a true prophet of God, and a servant who is willing to compromise. Second Kings chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Aram is modern-day Syria. Their capital is Damascus. You're hearing about it in the news because of the civil war taking place in Syria. Israel was not walking with God. We have just been through King Ahab and Queen Jezebel and Elijah. Now we're in the day of Elisha, and the king of Aram has been Hadad II. We're about 850 B.C., and the king of Israel is Joram, one who is not a believer in the one true God and does not follow him. And yet we have a very faithful protege of Elijah, the prophet Elisha, who is standing up against the king and is willing to tell the truth even when the king doesn't want to hear it. You notice in the opening verse that God is disciplining his chosen people Israel by allowing their enemies to win in battle over them. So you'll notice the Lord himself gave victory to Aram, which has made Naaman a great name for himself. He is the captain of the army of the king of Aram. He's greatly respected by his king. He is known among all as a valiant warrior. It's just he has something terribly wrong with him, a disease that is putrefying, a disease that separates people, even loved ones, one from another, and a disease that can eventually kill him. Believe it all, all believe it or not, every single one of us has faced a similar problem. Though God made our first father and mother, Adam and Eve, perfect, though they were made able not to die, and though he had breathed into them the breath of life and offered them eternal relationship with him, they would not obey his very simple command that they could have everything that he had provided for them except one tree in the fruit thereof. And as I was describing this morning, they were willing to lie to themselves and take for themselves what looked to them like something desirable, 
but actually brought them into death spiritually, which would lead to death physically, which would make them susceptible to disease. The whole reason why we are susceptible to disease is it's a reminder of our sin. Every single one of us, being descendants of Adam and Eve, have been born with this problem. Born oriented towards selfishness. Born oriented to rebellion against God. Born in such a way that we don't want to listen to God, but we want to do our own thing our own way. And frankly, it's killing us. Today we don't struggle with this hideous disease of scabs and white lesions that eat away at our flesh and may eventually kill us. But we have a disease that most of us are afraid of. And it's the disease of cancer. Cancer surprisingly affects what seems to be the most healthy people. It's insidious in how small it can start in just one part of your body. And if you can't kill that disease, it will spread and kill you. Why does God allow such horrible things into our lives? To remind us of the ticking time bomb of the fact that we are all headed toward a physical death that will end our opportunity to seek forgiveness from God for our personal rebellion against him and the sins that we've committed. And he allows sickness into our lives to remind us that we are sitting on this ticking time bomb of getting older and closer to death. God uses disease to wake us up and to cause us to think about our real problem, which is our spiritual problem of separation from him because of our rebellion. Everything was going right for Naaman. He was popular. He was famous. His boss loved him. He just had this horrible problem. He had a visual disease that was disgusting that meant that he was probably dying. Though he was very successful as a warrior, he wasn't particularly kind to the Israelites. They would regularly take raids into Israel and take whatever they wanted. They'd take crops. They'd take people. They'd make them their slaves. And he thought his wife could use a little servant girl. So we read in verse 2, the Arameans had gone out in bands and taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel. And Naaman brought her home and gave her as a slave to his wife to care for all of her needs. We call those people in our family children. However, (laughs) our children aren't actually captives who are forced to work against their will. Our children are our protégés that we're seeking to raise up in a godly manner so that they would live the life that they should live before the Lord. This little girl had every reason to resent the man who captured her, and the woman she served. She was required to be at their beck and call at all times. If she wanted to be asleep and they called her, she had to get up and work. 
If she was tired and wanted to rest, it didn't matter if she was tired. She had to serve them. She had to do whatever they asked. They likely gave her very menial chores. She wished she was with her family in Israel, but she's a captive in a foreign land to serve someone that she did not choose. But God placed in her heart a spiritual sensitivity that caused her to care more about her captors than they deserved. And she actually had compassion and mercy on Naaman. And she thought, I wish he wouldn't have to suffer like this. Now, only God can change our hearts in such a way that we would magnanimously care more about the other person than the mean way in which he's treating us. And that we would say, I would really want God's grace to fall on you. And as young as she was, she was well taught in the truth. She said, verse 3, to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who's in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Oh, the faith of a child. Children believe so much easier than we who've become so cynical. Children take steps of faith that would put us to shame. She knew the truth. She didn't follow the king of Israel. She knew there was one true prophet in Israel, Elisha. Though there had not been any healings from leprosy in her lifetime, though there had not been any healings from leprosy since clear back in the days of Moses and Miriam, she creatively thought in her mind that if her master could just go see the true prophet of the true God, God would have mercy on him and heal him. And she said, why don't you go? Now, when you're desperate with a disease that could kill you, you would do almost anything. You would say, there is no cure for this. I don't know how I could be relieved of this. And so Naaman himself listened to her and said, I'll do it. So since he worked for the king, he went to the king and asked permission to have leave to travel to Israel, not this time to raid and steal, but this time to come plaintively and to go to Elisha, the prophet of the one true God, and ask him if he would graciously be willing to heal him. The king of Aram loved Naaman, thought this was a great idea. But kings don't deal with prophets, they deal with other kings. And so he says, tell you what, I'll write a letter to the king of Israel. And take with you a gift that you could give that king. Ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, ten changes of clothes. If you start adding this up, this is 750 pounds of silver. This is 150 pounds of gold. This is not just 10 individual changes of clothes. These are 10 wardrobes of clothes. All the clothes you'd need and more for 10 different individuals. 
So take with you this gift and give it to the king. So Naaman travels, brings with him an entire entourage. After all, he is the highest ranking officer in the military of Aram. He is going to travel with an entourage. He brought the letter to Joram, the king of Israel, and said, Now as this letter comes to you, behold, I've sent Naaman my servant to you that you may cure him of leprosy. Now there had been a history between the king of Aram and the king of Israel. If you go back to Joram's father, Ahab, he had been messed with by the king of Aram. And so Joram, his son, is thinking like, wait a second, wait a second, this is a trick. He's trying to provoke me. How could I possibly heal anyone of leprosy? He actually rips his clothes, which in their culture was a sign of great distress, a sign of agony, a sign of crying out for help, a sign that he's going to grieve, and says, am I God? No, you're not. But he realizes only God could heal you of an incurable disease. Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of leprosy? But consider now, see how he's seeking to make a quarrel against me. We have a problem in the sense that this ticking time bomb in our life the length of our life is going to end in disaster of eternal separation from God forever unless we accept God's remedy. And his remedy is to say to us, there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. I will save you at infinite cost to myself. I will send my son to take your place and pay your penalty for you. But you would have to accept my offer as a gift. You'd have to humbly admit that you can't save yourself, and only I can save you. Now, some things are fairly obvious. If you have an incurable disease and no hope, you would say, I'll do anything, because there's no way I can save myself. And that's why God places us in situations like this story so that we would say to ourselves, there's nothing I can do about this. Not even modern medicine can do anything about this. I need God. Even an ungodly king knows that God is the only one that can do this. Well, Elisha, the true prophet of God, who the king would never call on, hears that the king of Israel has torn his clothes and figures like, you know, this king is worthless. I'm going to have to take care of this. And so he sent word to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me. And he shall know that there is a true prophet in Israel. And of all things, the king is so scared that he's going to be attacked that he says to Naaman, go ahead Go see Elisha. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Now you have to remember how important Naaman is. He is the greatest hero they have in their country. He is their greatest commander. 
the one who has won the most victories. He's got this entire entourage behind him. And he's standing out in front of Elisha's house and is imagining that there is going to be pomp and circumstance. There is going to be a band. There is going to be choir singing. There's going to be fanfare. This is going to be a wonderful occasion. It'll be a state dinner as he is offered healing. Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. He sends his messenger out to give him the prescription. Go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. Pretty simple. Except you could say to yourself, getting in the river is not going to cleanse me. There's nothing special about this river. There's no magic here. I was in the river today. It was beautiful, lovely water, cool water, loved it. But nothing happened to me. I am not wiped of every disease because I went in the river. The river is not what heals. It's only God that heals. And what God has asked him to do is to exercise faith demonstrated by obedience. What is faith? Faith is taking God at his word. Faith is saying, you said it, I believe it. Faith is saying, I'll accept your gift. I had a friend that once tried to pay my parking ticket for me. I refused to take his check. He kept trying to balance his checkbook every month. And he kept calling me every month and saying, cash the check. And I said, no, I will not cash the check. Isn't it interesting how you can receive a gift an offer of a gift. You can actually have it in hand. All I have to do is take it to the bank. All I have to do is take a picture of it nowadays in your phone, and it will automatically get transferred into my account. But I refused. We could be offered the gift of not just healing from disease, but a gift of eternal life and relationship with our God and Creator forever, and all our sins washed away. And we could say, Washing in the river is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I am not going to do that. And that's exactly Naaman's heart. Naaman was furious. His pride's offended. And that's the problem with us as adults is we have so much pride and it gets in our way in so many ways. It's because we believe we are more important than we really are. He says, I thought surely he would come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God. I love this part. And wave his hand all over the place to cure the leper. And all he does is say, remember that river you crossed 25 miles ago? Can you just go over there and dip in there seven times? You'll be healed. That's not the way I want it to go. So you've got cancer. And the doctor says to you, after about a half an hour of waiting before he even says the C word, well, we could do surgery. We could do chemotherapy. We could do radiation. What would you like? And you say, I want to juice carrots. Isn't it interesting how we think we will decide for ourselves 
how we'll cure the incurable. We'll either burn that thing out or poison that thing out or we'll just like cut it out with a sword. We think that we solve our problems so brutally when actually what we really need is to listen to God and say, God, you've allowed this into my life to teach me something. What is it that you would teach me? What do you want me to learn from this? God, you've allowed this into my life to teach me to teach others. What would I learn that I could teach someone else? How could my response to this disease affect other people? And so while Naaman is stewing in his pride and saying, hey, my rivers back home are better than your rivers, the Abana, the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, aren't they better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be cleaned? And he turned away in rage. And, and frankly, it's true. His rivers are prettier. <laughs> the Jordan River is muddy. And so he's got a point. But the point is, he doesn't get to claim whatever cure he wants because he can't heal himself. And so he's truly at the mercy of God who offers him healing through the true prophet if he would be willing to humble himself and accept God's offer. And God's offer is so simple. Receive it by faith. It will take faith to get down into that dirty little river. And just to make sure that you actually get your hair wet, I want you to count to seven and go under the water seven times, the sign of completeness. I want you to make sure you know you really did get yourself muddy in that river. Will you humble yourself? And you know what? You can explain the best gift ever offered to mankind to person after person. And in pride, person after person will say, I don't want your gift. And we say, like, you're dying. And they say, I don't care. And God has to do something terrible to them to shake them up. And in this case, this is how he shook up Naaman. He gave him an incurable disease that would cause people to want to stay away from him for fear that they would catch it. It would separate even the family. It's apparently not so bad yet that his wife won't live with him. Apparently, he still gets to work for the king, but soon it will be that he can't serve anyone. Will he accept this offer? Well, his entourage comes in to help here, and the servants say to him, approaching him very plaintively, saying, My father, had the prophet told you to do something great? Would you have not done it? How much more then when he says, Wash and be clean? There's the most amazing thing. We can go to a doctor, and the doctor will say, You have high blood pressure, take this pill, it will help. Or if you have high cholesterol, take this pill, it will help. And you know what's amazing is people will say, I don't need no stinking pill. I'm perfectly fine. I feel fine. I have a brother-in-law who's dying of lung disease, who smoked chain smoking all his life and saying, oh, it wasn't the cigarettes. No, I was in the military. 
and I must have had something happen to me there. It wasn't the fact that I was a chain smoker all my life. We constantly make excuses for ourselves because we don't humble ourselves before God and say, you tell me, you tell me what I need. I'll listen to you in faith. And they say, if you'd asked for something great, you would have done it. Here is such a simple thing. Just go wash and be clean. And what's amazing is God changed his heart. And Naaman humbled himself and went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored, not just leprosy gone, but restored like the flesh of a little child. And those of you who have babies know that's special skin. And he was clean. That's how beautiful the salvation of God is. If we would accept his gift and say, I need a substitute. If you're willing to pay my penalty in my place, I will accept your gift. And so he decided to return back the 25 miles to Elisha. And this time, Elisha actually comes out of the house. And he says the most wonderful thing. He actually testifies of his changed heart. He says, behold, now I know there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So please take a present from your servant now. He's saying your God is the one true God. I will worship no other God. You can tell his heart has been changed, not merely his skin. God has forgiven his sins and enabled him to see that it's the one true God, the God who created all the heavens and the earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who has healed him of leprosy. Now, Elisha is not like those false prophets that are in it for the power and the money, and he's not about to take a gift and allow Naaman to become confused and think that he in any way contributed to his healing or his salvation. And he says, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will take nothing. Naaman urged him to take it, but he refused. He didn't want to confuse Naaman regarding the freeness of the gift. Naaman said, if not, please let your servant at least be given two mules load of earth. For your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings, nor will he sacrifice to other gods, but only to, and the word is Yahweh, only to the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth. I will worship him alone. Polytheists thought that if you were to worship a God outside of his own locale, they had gods for every locale and for every condition. Uh, This particular God that uh, his master worshipped was the God of rain and thunder. He says, I need some dirt from your place to come back and put in my place so I can be on your dirt to worship. Hey, and if that helps, because it's not the dirt, but sure, take two mule loads of earth if you like. And then he says the most interesting thing because he's young in his faith and doesn't really understand how this works. He says, now, now, here's a problem. When the king goes into his house to worship his god, Rimmon, I have to go in there with him. And he leans on my hand when he bows down so that he doesn't fall all the way down. And the custom is I have to tip a little bit too. But I don't believe in his false god anymore. But I don't want the king mad at me. Is it okay if I just 
go like this a little bit. <laughs> Rather than getting an argument about theology, <clears throat> Elisha says, go in peace. So he departs. And that should be the end of the story. But the servant, Gehazi, is thinking to himself, this man's our enemy. And we just did something good for him. He should have to pay some sort of penalty for being our enemy. I'm going to go after him and I'm going to get some of that booty that he offered to us. So he says, behold, my master spared this Naaman by not receiving from his hands what he brought. As the Lord lives, I'll run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. And when Naaman saw one running after him, he came down from his chariot to meet him, said, is all well? He says, all's well. My master, and this is getting worse and worse, now he's going to put the lie into the mouth of Elisha the prophet. My master sent me saying, behold, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. And Naaman's so excited about this that I'll give you way more than that. And he's going, no, no, just just what I asked for. And here, I'll give you servants to carry all this stuff back because you can't possibly care for itself. And and Gehazi is going like, I don't want anybody going with me. I don't want them to see your people with me. Can can I carry it this much? No, you got to take my servants. So they get up to the hill where his house is. And he's saying, stop, don't go any further. Let's just put the stuff here in my house. Go away, go away. Oh, thank you so much. And he goes to see Elisha and acts like nothing has happened. When he went and stood before his master, verse 25, Elisha said to him, where have you been? Has your mom or dad ever said that to you? And have you ever said, your servant went nowhere? And did your mom ever say to you, did not my heart go with you? <laughs> Just like a mom. When the man turned from his chariot to meet you, is it a time to receive money and to receive clothes And then he goes into the plan that he had in his head to use the money to get olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants. He's turning into one of these fake prophets. We have to be careful that we don't let opportunities before us present to us a temptation in which we lust after that which does not belong to us. And we cloud the picture of what it means to receive a gift that we did not deserve, a gift for free. Therefore, he says, the leprosy of Naaman shall cleave to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out of his house from his presence, a leper as white as snow. When my mother came down with cancer, we prayed and asked the Lord to heal her. And the Lord, in his graciousness, made it obvious that he was not going to heal her, but that he was going to take her home to be with him. At the end of her life, the pain was getting so bad uh, that she didn't want to live any longer. And she wanted to stop taking the medicine that was making her life so miserable. And Carol and I had come out to visit her, and Carol had embroidered on some pillowcases a beautiful gift for her that she had presented to my mother. 
And I didn't realize that my mother had given up and was deciding to die. I thought I was coming to visit her to encourage her. And she took me to the closet and she pulled out the pillowcases and handed them to my wife and said they were so pretty, I never used them, but I want you to have them. And I realized what was taking place there as she was beginning to say goodbye. And as we talked more about it that weekend, where she realized the Lord was taking her, she said to me, if my cancer amounts to nothing else, it is worth it. And then she told me a story of the reconciliation of my oldest brother with his daughter. My mother was in the hospital. She was failing. And of course, everybody in town wanted to go see her. And so my brother went up the elevator. His daughter, who was estranged from him because of an ugly divorce, went up on a different elevator, arriving on the same floor, the floor my mother was on, at the same time, they walk out of the elevator and see each other for the first time in a long time. Both of their hearts were tender and open because of what was about to take place. They were going to go into the hospital room and say perhaps their goodbyes. And so instead of going into my mother's hospital room, they went into one of those family rooms that are near the elevators where you can talk privately, and they sat down and talked it out and reconciled. And then they held hands and walked down the hospital hallway and into my mother's room and announced their reconciliation. And so my mother said to me, if my cancer amounts to no more than this, it was all worth it. Every single one of us has a ticking time bomb of a clock that is counting down telling us we don't have much time left and we need to make sure that we are right with God. God has made an offer to us that is completely free without charge to us, but is extremely costly for him. The penalty for our sin is death, eternal separation from God forever. Were he to make us pay our own penalty, we'd be destroyed and separated from God forever. But instead, out of his love, he is willing to make that payment for us through the gift of his son. Jesus Christ took that penalty upon himself. He was made sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And he offers it to us as a gift. Right now, tonight, you could say, I don't want your gift. I have my own plans. I'm going to drink the carrot juice. I'm going to take care of myself. Or you could say, I cannot save myself. I'll die without you. You died to take my place. I accept your offer of salvation and eternal life. Father, we ask that you would touch every heart here tonight with the truth of what they need to say to you. Help them through the convicting work of your Holy Spirit to understand their sin and how it separates them from you, of the impending judgment against their sin, and of Jesus Christ's righteousness. He was innocent, 
He did not have to die for himself. He is your son, God himself, come as one of us, both God and man, dying in our place, paying for our sins. All of your anger toward us was extinguished in the work of your son on the cross. I pray that as you've asked us to stop trusting in ourselves, but to humbly transfer trust from ourselves to you, to believe that Jesus Christ is your Son, our Savior, and to accept his gift of salvation. I pray that each one of us would believe that and receive the gift. Oh, Father, I thank you that you are a loving, forgiving, and saving God. We praise you that you're willing to heal such an undeserving man as Naaman. And that through that physical healing, you brought him to his knees in understanding you're the only God in the universe. Father, if it takes putting us on our knees, if it takes awakening us through what's happening in our lives, I pray that you would drive us humbly before you for us to be on our knees and to cry out to you, I need your forgiveness. I need your salvation. I believe that your son is my Savior and that he died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe. Forgive me. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.